This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for July 16, 2023. The title of the message is Heavenly Citizenship. Good morning. I am, uh, again, always privileged to um, bring God's Word to you, uh, to read it and proclaim it. If you would uh, open your to open your Bibles with me uh, to Philippians chapter three, we continue uh, in our morning series through Paul's epistle to the Philippians. If you don't have a Bible or you have a different translation, you can follow along in the worship bulletin or the slide behind me. As we we've been going through Philippians uh, earlier in. In, a, uh, in th- that latter half of, of chapter 3, we have been looking at Paul's uh, exhortation, encouragement, and his, the description of the surpassing worth of Christ and to know him and how it, everything else then pales in comparison that ought to have an effect in our lives. That if Christ becomes our all in all, if he becomes the treasure of our hearts, then when we treasure him, our priorities are going to be different. Our desires are going to be different. Our affections are going to be different. And the decisions we make are going to be different. The way we live, the course of our lives are going to be completely different because we treasure Christ versus not treasuring him. And now Paul moves from treasuring Christ to a, a bigger picture understanding of, of why our lives as Christians ought to be different, ought to look different, not only because we treasure Christ, but because uh, our citizenship is in Christ. Uh, our citizenship is not here on earth, but in heaven. And so if our citizenship is in heaven and not grounded here on earth, then uh, our lives ought to look different uh, in accordance with, with uh, his kingship and his kingdom authority. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning. So if you would uh, pray with me as we uh, seek the Lord's help uh, in what we read and understand it. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you asking for your grace in our lives, would you give us your Holy Spirit to indwell in each and every one of us so that we would understand what we're about to hear? But more than that, to to comprehend it in such a way that it would change our lives, that your word would be sweeter to our lips than honey and it would uh, empower our hearts to live by faith, that it would Show us, open our eyes to who we really are as citizens of heaven, citizens of the king, and help us then uh, to hear it by faith. And Lord, would you give me your Holy Spirit to empower my words so that when it goes forth from my lips, your people would hear your voice and that your word would not return unto you void without accomplishing all that you ordain it. We ask, O Lord, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 3. Brothers, 
Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it this morning. You know, growing up, uh, you know, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to date myself, but growing up, we always, you know, in elementary school, we had civic lessons. You know, we, we every, I remember every uh, school day morning, we would stand up and, you know, put our hands uh, across our chest and, and, uh, and do the Pledge of Allegiance. And, and then we would regularly have civic lessons, uh, lessons about uh, our government and about politics, about the history of our nation, uh, about all the rights and privileges we have under the U.S. Constitution. We learned how important it was to exercise and to cherish the rights as well as the responsibilities that we had as citizens of the United States. Uh, and as a naturalized citizen myself, I felt a, a keen sense of duty to live according to the blessings, uh, the privileges that uh, I enjoy as a citizen of the United States. And, and so what that meant was for me to vote whenever possible, to check the box when I applied for my first driver's license, to check that selective service box, right? And for some of you who don't know, it's that box that says, you know what, when, if we ever have a draft, if we ever go into war, uh, your name can be called. So I remember that. I remember distinctly checking that box because I would have been, uh, and I am, um, uh, grateful for the the freedoms that we have, and I would do whatever it took to uh, defend those freedoms. Uh, and then also the the right and privilege to protest. Uh, that's what I love about America is uh, to protest wrongs done by by institutions, companies, and even our own government. To protest when there is injustice and oppression. Uh, to protest uh, whatever side of the political spectrum that you're on, but uh, that is a freedom that is enshrined uh, in the very fabric of our nation. Uh, and in fact, it was partly how our nation was founded uh, with, that revol with the Revolutionary War and the, the protest of, of, of uh, the, the Boston Tea Party, if you know your history. And these are all ways that we exercise and live according to where our citizenship resides, according to the citizenship uh, of, of which we belong. And so for, because I'm an American citizen, because you, many of us, some of us are uh, citizens of America, um, we don't vote in elections of other countries, right? Uh, I don't go to Japan and vote. 
Uh, I don't go to, to Guatemala and vote for, in their presiden presidential elections. I, I don't sign up for uh, the selecta service uh, of my prior uh, nationality. I don't go to Korea, and, and I'm not going to get drafted, and I don't want to get drafted uh, if I were ever to go to Korea. I was very thankful uh, when my, my cousins, who are my age, when, when they, were, when they were, had to go into the military uh, for their um, obligation, I was very glad I didn't have to do it, uh, especially there. And the reason I don't do any of those things for other nations is because I'm not a citizen of those nations. I'm an American citizen. Uh, and so that means that it, my citizenship uh, affects and shapes uh, how I live and what I do. And so, brothers and sisters, friends, if this is how it is with our earthly citizenship, how much more should we live then as heavenly citizens, because Paul here, if you look at verse uh, 17 and 18 there, uh, in, I mean, sorry, uh, 20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. And so that ought to shape how we live as citizens of heaven. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning from our passage. If, if we are citizens of heaven, then how should we live out that citizenship in this world, in the hope of the world to come? That's what I want us to look at. That's what Paul is uh, telling us this morning, talking, uh, sharing with us this morning. So how do we do that? First, we live it out by following the apostolic example of heavenly citizenship. After highlighting the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, Paul says in verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. And what have we attained? Uh, we've been born again. We have died and risen with Christ. We have been justified. We've been sanctified. And we have been adopted into God's family. And through that adoption, through that being born again from above in heaven, through the grace of the gospel, through the sovereign grace of the gospel, we are citizens of heaven. And so... We live out the reality then of that citizenship through the gospel. It ought to drive who we are and how we live. Uh, Paul, what Paul is saying is, let the indicative of who we are lead us to the imperatives of how we live in the gospel. And so Paul tells us how to do that. Look at verse 17. He, he begins with the family example. Paul addresses the Philippians as siblings in the family of God. Look at that first word there in verse 17, brothers. Right? This is the language of a family, of a household. Brothers, join in imitating me. Right? The context of that language, just like any other family, is that we learn from one another. We learn from our parents, our spiritual brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. Paul, an apostle, is an older brother in the family of God, an older sibling in Christ. And so he's saying, imitate me as your older brother, as I imitate Christ, our everyone, our true elder brother. Imitate me as I imitate our heavenly father. Uh, imitate me as I walk by faith, not by sight. Imitate me as I... 
live in the reality of my union with Christ as I turn from sin and follow a newness of life in the footsteps of Christ to fix my hope on eternal things and not on temporary earthly things below. This is why Paul, uh, in the context of all of Paul's writings, in 1 Corinthians 11, he, he, he calls the Corinthians to imitate, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And here in Philippians, the context in which Paul is saying here, join in imitating me, is, is the, the mind that was in Christ, Philippians 2, 5, uh, 5 6, and 7. Have this mind among yourselves that was in Christ Jesus. That he who did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant. Follow that example, uh, lived out through the example of Christ, of, of, of of Paul as he serves the people of God, as he prioritizes his life, treasuring Christ above all so that everything else pales in comparison. So, he, so what is it, so Paul would have modeled for the Philippian church what it looked like to count all things as lost, to count them all as rubbish, all of his accomplishments, all of his, his intellect, uh, his being a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew of Jews, a Benjaminite, laying all of those and counting them all as rubbish for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord. And so Paul is modeling that for the Philippian people, for the Philippian church. And, and so he's saying, imitate me. And we, we in we, 2,000 years later, we imitate Christ through the very text in which he's calling us to imitate him, through the, through the whole of the Bible that reveals who Christ is and, and how he lived. And not only uh, imitating Paul, but, but living, walking according to the example that they had in the apostles. In, in, in Paul's fellow missionaries there in Philippi and in the churches in that surrounding area. Um, and for us, the way that we follow those examples is the example that they give us in the apostolic word. And then as we live out that apostolic word, as we live out how Paul describes the life of Christ in Philippians 2.5, as he treasures Christ uh, at the, at, uh, in the prior verses, in verses 3, 1 to, 1 to 16. Then it's lived out, and that's how we, we come to imitate them from Scripture, and then we embody in flesh and blood, in, in the, in the, we embody uh, the way in which we walk, imitating them as examples. And then we become examples for one another. This is how we, we live out the word of God. You know, you know, 
what I love about Churches of Jesus Christ is that we are more than merely uh, schools. You know, it's, it's, it, we're not like a college or a university where you give a lecture, you take notes, you pass a test, and then all of a sudden you graduate to the next level. No, we are a community, a household in which everything we learn is, to, is for the living of the Christian life. And as we live out the Christian life in community, we learn from each other what the practical nature of of the Christian living actually looks like. What it means to mourn over your sins when you're struggling. What it means to, to persevere when you're suffering in some way, whether it's persecution in, in, in persecuting countries or whether it's suffering because you've just been diagnosed with a chronic disease or or mourning over the death of a loved one and grasping and clinging on to the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. When you see how other people do it, you learn how to do it someday. The best lessons that I have ever learned was not in a a lecture-type Bible study, it was, in, it, was, it was sitting on the couch of Christians who are struggling and hurting and suffering in some way. And they cling to Jesus because Jesus is all they have. That they can't do anything for themselves, but they know that Jesus can. And say, so they trust in him so deeply I hope you will learn. You will live by the example that is presented to you through your fellow brothers and sisters. It's imperfect, right? We're not perfect examples of, of, of what it means to, to live in a Christian way. But, it's, but by faith, we can imitate one another as we all do our best by faith to imitate Christ. This is why it's so important, brothers and sisters, to, to live in a face-to-face, personal, life-on-life community. Uh, you cannot be in a community, you cannot be a member of the church from a distance on a TV screen. Do a Zoom meeting. It has to be face-to-face. It has to be life on life. This brings us then to my second point. We also learn to live out our citizenship by not only by living by those examples, but by avoiding those who are enemies of the cross. Look at verse 18. Paul contrasts examples with enemies to avoid. Let me point out a few things here. First, he mourns over these enemies. Look at what he says there. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Someone who knows the grace of God knows that they don't deserve God's grace. And Paul knows this better than anyone else. He was an enemy of the cross. Before he became a Christian, he was a persecutor of the church. 
He approved and even helped imprison and contributed to the death of Christians in the early church before he met Jesus on uh, the risen Christ on that road to Damascus. Right? What he thought he was doing for, for the Lord, in the name of God, he persecuted the people of God. He hated the gospel. He hated Jesus. But what did the Lord do? He plucked him from the fire and saved him. He peeled the scales of, of spiritual blindness from his eyes, as well as the literal ones, so that he might truly see reality and grace, and he would truly see Jesus as he really is, the Savior of sinners. And so he knows that before the grace of God go I, he doesn't hate the enemies of the cross, he mourns for them. Friends, brothers and sisters, do you mourn for those who hate you? Do you mourn for those who would spite you and mock you and persecute you? Do you mourn for your lost friends and neighbors and family members? If you really understood how undeserving you really are of the grace of God and the salvation that you have, you would mourn for them. And you would not have a, a, a condescending perspective and, and, and look down on them and say, look how they live. You know, uh, they hate Jesus, but I don't. I'm a, I'm, you know, God loves me more than them. He mourns over, Paul mourns over their, their misguided religiosity and their outright opposition to the gospel. So, who are these enemies? Right? They are enemies whose end is eternal death and destruction in hell. Right? Paul begins with their end, their, their goal, where they're going to end up, and then he works backwards. He, he begins with the eternal trajectory of their lives. He extrapolates who they are and points us to their inevitable end. And what is that end? An eternity uh, in hell. And why is that? Because their God is their belly. They reject the one true and living God, the God of self-indulgence. They are people who give in to their base desires and lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. They worship what feels good and what feels right. They elevate their own desires as if it were God to them. Their own desires for peace in this world for pleasure happiness they worship and serve the appetites whatever it may uh, long for and they try to satisfy those appetites but they can never be filled by anything in this life in this world they point us to how we all have a deep hunger that only god can fill so we try to fill it with everything and anything, like food, money, sex, or power, or significance. But they will never satisfy. They will always be hungry again. But here's the truth of the gospel, friends. The only thing that truly satisfies all of our longings, all of our hungers, all of our, our, our deep appetites for which we were created is God. 
St. Augustine knew this truth, that because we were created in the image of God, we long for God. And when we don't, when, we, when our appetite isn't for God, we're going to try and fill our bellies with anything, with everything. Right? What is it that, that you hunger for? What is it that you long for and, and you can't get enough of? St. Augustine knew this truth and he said, My, our hearts are restless. Right? Another way to think about it is our hearts are hungry. Our hearts are unsatisfied until they find their rest in thee. And this is how people reject Jesus and become enemies of the cross. Because they don't believe that Jesus and his finished work of atonement on the cross to satisfy the justice of God by taking our sins and bearing them, in, and bearing them uh, the wrath of God in his own body when they reject the full satisfaction of God's justice when Jesus died on the cross, by rejecting the full satisfaction of Jesus' resurrection to give new and eternal life, to reject the satisfaction that only Jesus can give in his person and his work, when you reject the satisfaction and perfection of Jesus, you are an enemy of the cross of Christ. And if you're a Christian, you know, it's possible for you to live as enemies, although you have a profession of faith. Uh, and so this, this can apply to people inside and outside of the church, those who believe in Christ and those who don't. It's the manner in which we live where Jesus and the cross is not that important. When we want to save ourselves and we reject the salvation that is offered to us in the cross, in the gospel, we become enemies of the cross of Christ. When we say we don't need Jesus to save us, we're spitting on all that Jesus has done. We're running counter and opposing everything that God offers to us in Christ. You reject that, that, that Jesus is the only one who can fully satisfy your heart's longings and desires. Uh, this morning, I just want to ask you, you know, what, what are you filling, what are you trying to fill your life in order to find happiness? Maybe for some of you, it's accomplishments, straight A's, having the right job, graduating from the right school, having the right kinds of friends. Maybe for some of you who are single, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's having a being in a relationship where you feel loved and you, you feel accepted, uh, but you compromise. Maybe for some of you, uh, you know, you're, you're living for uh, those things that you think make you happy, but it's not Jesus. It's not the Lord. You're seeking after those things, but not Jesus. You may not put it this way, but you're opposing uh, the full sufficiency of all that Jesus has done for you. And you're saying, you know, it's not enough. 
you're living as an enemy of the cross. But this morning, I want to uh, invite you, if you're living as an enemy of the cross, you can repent. You can turn around. Right? Instead of being uh, an enemy of the cross by being self-indulgent uh, with your appetites, you can turn, put your faith in Christ who died for you and through his death and resurrection fully satisfies those longings in your hearts so that now you can live by, through self-denial. Right? What did Jesus say when he invited uh, people to come to follow him? He says, come, uh, drop all you have. Right? That's what Peter and the other uh, apostles did. They, they dropped at a moment's notice everything that they had to follow Jesus to deny themselves. Not only do they, uh, is, is their God their bellies, but they, they will also glory. Right? They will also glory or boast in their shame. Right? When you live as an enemy of the cross of Christ, when you give in to your self-indulgent appetites, then it turns uh, the whole um, uh, worldview of Christianity and right and wrong completely upside down. That what is shameful turns into something that you are proud of. And what you should be proud of, you turn into something shameful. They call evil good and good evil. And in many ways, this is, this is what we see in our culture today. We see the glorification of sin on TV, social media, and the news and culture. What was considered morally wrong is now glorified. And what, what used to be considered morally right and, and good uh, is now ashamed. So how does this happen? It happens when we set our minds on earthly things. It happens when, you, when we fix our minds and set our focus solely on the things of this world rather than the things of heaven. It's when we fix our priorities, our hopes, and our dreams just in this world and nothing else. That this world and everything that happens is the be-all, end-all of our lives, our happiness, our hopes, our dreams, our identity. When we have a completely exclusive, horizontal perspective rather than one that includes the vertical. It's when God is completely cut out of the picture of our view. When all we see in this world is this world and nothing else. When God and the eternal things of God is, is um, cut out of, 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 of our hearts and our minds. We don't even think about God anymore when we're not captured by God's love, but rather for the love of the world, when his cross becomes nothing to us, when we don't care, let alone believe in the resurrection of Christ. It's when the whole frame of one's reference for life is centered on the temporary fleeting things of this world rather than on the eternal heavenly glory that is to come. For non-Christians, if this describes you, if this describes you, uh, the gospel is the good news that there's more to this life than what you see, than what you can taste, touch, and feel. There is a God whom you cannot see, 
but a God with whom you have to do, a God who will bring uh, a day of reckoning uh, one day, a day of judgment, a God who invites you to come and to know him as you repent of your sins and trust in him, trust in his Savior, trust in his Son, and to have a right relationship with him so that then when God becomes the center of your frame of reference, you no longer set your mind solely on earthly things, but you set them on things above. In the gospel, this is how God reconciles us. He saves us. He saves us so that we might know him and have a relationship with him so that we might look up and set our minds on things above where he dwells in glory, where we, where we can have a fellowship with him. Paul says this in Colossians 3, we have been raised up with Christ to seek things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And so the question that we have to ask then is how do we set our minds then on heavenly things? We, this brings us to my last point. We live out our citizenship in light of our eternal citizenship in heaven. In contrast to living as enemies, Paul calls us to live in light of eternity, in light of heaven. And this means living according to the citizenship from which we are located. Our citizenship is located. Look at what he says there in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. It's where we belong. It's where our names are written in the rolls of the kingdom. It's where we were born, and that's where our birth certificate lies. It's the kingdom of, to which we are subjects. This has so many implications for how we live. First, we are shaped by the character of the kingdom uh, to which we belong. If we are citizens of heaven, then our lives should reflect the character of heaven. If heaven is a place where we dwell with God forever, then we ought to live in the reality and hope of heaven. It means being holy just as he is holy. It means living under the kingship of the God of heaven, trusting in Christ, the Lord of heaven, setting our minds on the things of heaven. It also means that we're shaped by the character of the king under which we live. Look at what he goes on to say. And from it, from, from it we await the, a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is what it means to set our minds on heavenly things, to wait, to wait for our savior from where he comes. We live in eager expectation of his return. We wait on him and for him as we live in this world. This is the, the great hope that characterizes and shapes everything in our lives. This is why the Bible calls us strangers and aliens living in a country that is not our home. Because our ultimate citizenship is not in this world, but in heaven where our king sits at his right hand. And he will come and turn the kingdoms of this world into the kingdom of God and of his Christ. Instead of glorying in our shame, we glory in our king. We glory in his cross 
and we find our satisfaction in him. Thirdly, we are shaped for the glory of heaven. Because Jesus died and rose again, so will we when he returns. Look at what he says there in verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself? See, Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, he died with an earthly body bearing our sins in order then to rise with a glorified body, a resurrection body that is fit for, its, for heaven. This is the point of 1 Corinthians 15. Well, look at, listen to what he says. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, talking about the first man being Adam and the second man being Jesus, the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of, of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. The resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power which he subjects all things to himself. Why? Because he subjected the last enemy, death itself. And in dying and rising, he swallowed victory, death and vic he swallowed up victory, uh, death and victory. And this is the great hope of heaven. When he subjects not only death, but he subjects death in all of us. When we are raised to glorious bodies as citizens of heaven. And it is this power that you and I taste in the gospel uh, as a foretaste of what is to come. This is the hope of heavenly glory for which we ought to live. Friends, brothers and sisters, Paul chose the imagery of citizenship for a reason. It's because the Philippian church, they would have known the special status that Philippi had as a Roman colony smack in the middle of Greece. That every citizen born uh, in Philippi, born, they are born Roman citizens, not Greek citizens. And so they live in this city, not as citizens of Greece, but in the culture, in the life, and the citizenship, uh, as if they were in Rome. And this is the idea that Paul is conveying to you and to me. That we are a colony of heaven. Plucked down right here in the middle of Long Beach. To live not as citizens of this world, according to their customs and their culture and their worldview and perspective, but as citizens of heaven under the authority of the king of heaven. We are born into his kingdom. We who are enemies of the cross of Christ have been redeemed, rescued, and reconciled to God through the cross of Christ. And now, as we await our Savior, my invitation to you is to live as citizens of heaven by example, 
one to another as we seek to live out the truths of the gospel here, uh, to avoid being enemies of the cross by finding our full sufficiency and satisfaction in Christ, to, be, to live in self-denial rather than self-indulgence, and to live in light of eternity. Not to set our minds only on this world, but to fix our eyes up into heaven and say, that is where my true home lies and my life ought to, to reflect that truth. Brothers and sisters, let us live then as citizens of heaven because that is where we are from. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth Lord, that we are citizens of heaven and not of this earth. Uh, Father, help us to be shaped by, by that citizenship. Uh, help us to live, Lord, as strangers and aliens. We ask, Lord, all of these things awaiting your return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.